Hi, everybody, and welcome to Geeks Speak Louder Than Nerds, a weekly rewatch podcast for TV shows, movies, and this week, a sequel to the prequel of the original that takes place after the original, but the prequel was also a sequel to the other prequel, but not before the sequels. Everybody got that? My name's Nick Farrow. I'm Mike Hilty. How you doing today, Mike? <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. We are in a mad dash to Christmas now, and it's just chaos and craziness between work and pretty much all the weekends are booked with something. Something, yeah. the next couple of weeks, so it's going to be fun times. It sure is. <laughs> It sounds like you're not coughing anymore. I they, We both got that going for us. I would have to agree with that. Uh, everyone else is coughing. Gave it to everyone. Good job. I, I did. <laughs> so there, there's that. I occasionally have a little bit of congestion, but there will be far less coughing in in this in this TV series as opposed to the bat- tail ends of the other ones. Yeah, nice couple weeks off, and also uh, an antibiotic pack really helped me. Uh, I, apparently, I had walking pneumonia. So. Oh, that's <laughs> I ended up having to good. go to the doctors. Finally, <laughs> I was like, something is wrong with me. Okay. Yeah, over over Thanksgiving, they gave me some medication, and it cleared it right up. Weird how stuff like that works I know, out. Right? Well, I mean, as parents, aren't we kind of conditioned to? be skeptical of going to the doctor because you go to the doctor like with your kids and it's like, Oh, here's my copay. What's wrong with my kid? Uh, I can't do anything about it. So yes, push, <laughs> push fluids. Come see me again or come, come give me more money if it gets worse. But yeah, I was going to say as Americans rather than as parents, like just, Hey, the American insurance healthcare system sucks. Holy crap. Like, mm-hmm. I need to be literally dying, which is essentially what happened. I was coughing so bad. I got a pain in my side every time I coughed. And the day before Thanksgiving, I coughed so hard. I felt a pop and then a warm sensation. Doctor says I I pulled a muscle or it must have just been a pull because if I had torn it, it probably would still hurt. But it's kind of gone away at this point about a we're about a week and a half out now. So I I, thankfully I, I no longer feel that pain. But uh, I was afraid I was dying. It's it's like, all right, I'm going to the doctor now. Speaking of the American medical system, my wife, who's from New Zealand, just doesn't understand it at all. And I live in America and I don't understand. She she comes she comes from a country that they just give away healthcare. You just give away an essential life things that you need to live in order to have a nice and happy healthy life. Here in America, capitalism, baby, if you yeah. can't make money off of it, then it's not worth doing. So, the first time that I went to go visit New Zealand, my oldest was sick. We're like, we don't know what's going on. And since she's technically a New Zealand citizen as well, we went to the doctor on Christmas Day Got antibiotics, got everything checked out, all for free, all walk-in, all just like, yeah, just come in wherever. We, we don't care. We just want to help. Oh, lovely. This is this is pleasantly surprising. And I'm oddly suspicious of this. What's the hitch? <laughs> what's what's going on? We're so suspicious of anything that's too good to be true because of where we live. Ugh. 
it's sad. It's very it sad, but hey, it is what it is. Yeah, well, so, well, so Nick, do you want to get into the real episode banter topic that yeah, we're going to talk do about? That. Where we'll talk about <laughs> both of our brief, 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 history. I'll be brief. The lie detector determined that was a lie. Brief history, histories with <laughs> Star Wars fandom. Yeah, we're we're getting into Star Wars now. Um, it's this little indie movie franchise that started a couple years ago, I think. Like they just came out with some movies and television shows that we've all suddenly started watching a lot of. But uh, yeah. yeah, this plucky, plucky little thing that you know some yeah. ran, random dude created in the seventies, and now Disney owns it. Great, isn't that how it always goes? Yeah. <laughs> well, my history, my very very brief history. And based on how long I talk here, we'll explain to you how brief of a history it is. This was one of my favorite movies of all time. Like Star Wars, Empire Strikes Back, Return of the Jedi. They are in all in my top 10 favorite movies of all time. And I, it started because I was little and my dad loved it. And they even told me when I was a kid, like I used to in my crib when I wanted someone to come get me, I'd go, Luke, Luke, like Aunt Beru does in the first one. So like, this is how far back I go as a Star Wars fan. Elementary school, middle schoolish, my dad started getting the books in the in the early 90s. And when I became old enough to read them, I started reading them as well. I I am a huge Expanded Universe fan that the books to me are almost more important than the movies because they take what the movies did and expand upon them in such a perfect way. They didn't all do a great job, but the ones that do are absolutely stellar. And there are more good than bad in the Expanded Universe. In fact, for the longest time, especially when Disney did their purchasing and then canceled it, I... I literally would just stare baffled at people like, how can you say you're a Star Wars fan if you haven't even bothered to look into 90% of what Star Wars is? Like, the, there are way more books and comics than there are movies. Uh, now, Disney's doing their best to try and even that out. But they, yeah. they, for the longest time, there were six movies and there were over 100 books. Well, so, I, I think that's the problem is yeah. that... If there's over, if there's that many books, it's very hard to figure out, oh, where do I start? What's going on? Oh, I've got that. That is, that is, a, this is another list for another day. <laughs> that, is, that is the same issue that, you know, I have with things like Star Trek or Doctor Who. It's like, where yeah. on earth do I start? With well, this? unlike Star Trek or, well, I, I don't I can't really speak for Doctor Who because I think there's a pretty obvious starting point at this point, but. Unlike Star Trek, there is a very clear road when it comes to the books in Star Wars because, like, certain ones are key and certain ones are easy readers. Like, I always tell anybody, if you want to understand what the Star Wars Expanded Universe is, pick up the X-Wing series. It starts with four books. They're all roughly two, three hundred pages. They're not they're not big reads. And they, and honestly, you only even need to read all four of them. You just read the first one. And it's a nice little contained story that gives you a little bit of your main characters. Like Luke Skywalker shows up in it for a minute. I think even Han Solo's in it for that first book, uh, just a little bit. But it it takes you with Wedge Antilles 
from the movies and he makes him the main character and he puts together the rogue squadron and it's a really fun read it's funny it's action packed it's just it's got great characters in it it introduces a whole bunch of new characters that then go out to get their own books like this is how you do an expanded universe like you you start it small and then you work your way out and they they really hook you in those and so like if you enjoy what you're reading with x-wing and then you just kind of like take it from there because the, the first x-wing book is like what several months after return of the jedi so it's like it's not even like you're dropped in the middle of somewhere where you have no idea where you are who where anybody is who these people are there's that air of familiarity to it and so like that's what i like to tell people but as far as my history with the franchise goes, I've I've read all these books. I've watched the movies a million times. I am a pre-Disney buyout fan. I I will watch all the new stuff. I like some of it. It sounds like you're trying your best not to say I tolerate it. it not- no, that's pretty much what it is. I tolerate. Well, but it's I'm like Anton Ego from Ratatouille. I don't like Star Wars. I love it. And if I don't love it, I don't swallow. Like, they have put out some good stuff in the Disney era. I don't believe it's the majority at all. Not even close. But I think that they have, they've touched upon what I love about Star Wars a few times now. And we'll get into that when we when we do our lists. Get ready, guys. We're doing a list. Another list. <laughs> Another list. It's a thing that I love that for a very long time in between 2014 or 2012 and 2019, I was very bitter about. And it took me a while, but I've I've come back from the dark side. I'm willing to give Disney you... Star Wars a chance. Okay. No, the fact that I'm watching it at all is given it a chance i did not see the force awakens in theaters at all i refused i absolutely refused to go see it i did see the last jedi in theaters and i only did because i had that free the the amc movie pass it was free i didn't pay for it um i'd say by the time rise of skywalker came out i was over the hump and was willing to just whatever it is whatever this is how it is from now on i'm never gonna get the thing i want back let's just tolerate it <laughs> so what about you what, what's your star wars history i i grew up with the movies i had the three vhs set of you know just the original movies wore those things out i saw all the special editions in theaters uh oh, first lucky. chance i could first chance i could get loved loved those um very big with the toys as well oh me you know, too those those toys were were the power of the force okay. line in the 90s mm-hmm. yeah of those all, toys we had all, oh so many <laughs> all of that so star wars is is one of those franchises that i used to really love and then toxic fandom kind of ruined it mm. yeah lot. that happens and it's only gotten worse in the age of the internet. You know, you remember when back in the day when you just read about toxic fandom in like magazines and crap like that? It's like, no, I do not. No, no. Oh. <laughs> I don't remember reading about no? toxic fandom no? in magazines. No, no, just me. Okay. No, What's you... a magazine? <laughs> the only magazine right. I ever got was Star Wars Insider. <laughs> that was it. 
<laughs> I used to I used to collect the damn things because they'd have an EU story in them. And they'd, they'd have tons of different behind-the-scenes stuff. After Phantom Menace came out, they used to have a ton of great stuff in the Star Wars Insider magazine. So that was legit. I'm not even joking. That was the only magazine I ever bought and read. And you never saw anything toxic in there. Because back well, then, the only people reading them were people who loved Star Wars. That's, I sound like I'm a toxic fan, but it's just I don't understand how people can love something and then look me in the eye and go, you know, they really should stop making these things and give us time to miss it. Like, are you insane? Do you not actually like it? Because if you don't like it, you don't have to say you like it. Like, I never want them to stop making the thing that I love. And people are like, I think they should give it a a rest. Well, no, well, but this is, this is the American healthcare argument uh, all over again (laughs) capitalism is a thing and until such a time that star wars will not make money which that day will never come i don't know i don't i don't know i don't think they were happy with the return on investment for skywalker rise of the skywalker that movie did not make the money they wanted it to make well sure it didn't however at minimum force awakens and even Last Jedi, to some extent or another, did make a lot of money. So No, they did. You're right. I, and honestly, Solo would have made money had they not made the movie twice and tripled the budget. <laughs> like, so, And Rogue One did fairly decent returns. It's just after after Last Jedi, they, they all their projects stopped making money. Yeah. And so... Like they used COVID as an excuse to, oh, to re to revamp, like kind of the way that Marvel is revamping right now. I think the Star Wars industrial complex is like freaking out and trying to right the ship and figure something out. I after Andor, I don't even know what's going on because Andor was critically praised and was is is today their best thing that they've ever made. Which anybody who knows me knows that that is a wild statement coming from me because I literally said when they announced Andor, I'm like, who the F gives an F about discount Kyle Katarn? Like, I don't care about Cassian Andor, a a guy that dies in a movie. And it is by far one of the best shows on television and nobody watched it. And it drives me insane that nobody watched it. And it's so good. And it's just, well, well, Nick, where where are the lightsabers? Where I know. Where, where's where's all the force stuff? This isn't a Star Wars anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is and that's this is why we can't have nice things. We can't have nice things. And then, to, and then you've got people telling me that the Book of Boba Fett is one of their favorite Star Wars shows, and it's like, ah, it's a good thing my hair is short, or else I'd pull it all out. All right, sorry, I did the rant early. <laughs> okay, okay. Gotta get it all out of our systems now because st- we're gonna be talking about what, what, what are you talking about? Yeah, what are you talking about? <laughs> get it all out of your system now. This is the first of eight weeks or eight episodes of buildup that oh, yeah. you're gonna have to get everything out. It's it's clear that you hate Star Wars. It's I, just clear. obviously so, it's clear, it's very obviously. clear. So <laughs> we're this is going to be a interesting set of episodes that we're gonna be doing for this. So, you know what? Why don't we just rip the Band-Aid off and 
You think we should just get into the episode? Yeah, let's do it. This week, we'll be watching Ahsoka, part one, Master and Apprentice. Now this is a story all about how Star Wars. Once upon a time, you will never find more wretched hives, scum, and have you ever had a dream you you do so much you could do anything? So, Mike, you know when you ask your mom for an opening crawl, but she says we have an opening crawl at home? Well, that's the opening crawl that we are treated to with this first episode. <laughs> I I appreciate that they didn't do like uh like the movie opening crawl, but I'm it's so weird. And I think this might be one of my nerd rants for one of the later weeks, but it's just so weird to me that they can't figure out what they want to do with these TV shows. Like they clearly, they want to distinguish them from the movies, but then like Rogue One and Solo didn't have opening crawls either. So like, I I really wish they would just make up their mind, but they, we get an opening crawl kind of very uh, Blade Runner-esque in the way that it, it shows up with mm-hmm. the red writing. I would just was, ooh, yeah, it was, Kind of cool. It's it's kind of new. It's kind of edgy. And I like it. So the crawl tells us that the Empire has fallen and re- been replaced by the New Republic. Yet there are sinister agents trying to undermine the fragile peace. A plot is underway to find the lost Imperial Grand Admiral Thrawn and bring him out of exile. Thrawn's return would be the catalyst to bring together the remains of their Imperial remnant and start another war to control the galaxy. Before I had watched Ahsoka, I was not as familiar with things. Like, Rebels is obviously very important yeah. uh, for this, because if you haven't watched Rebels or if you're not familiar with it, you're, you're be like, who, who are these people? What is going on? Who cares about Grand Admiral Thrawn? Who is this guy? And it took me, yes, of course you know about <laughs> it. You can put your hand up. All of these like cartoons and everything like that, that is around the time that I checked out. I have since not completely caught up, but I have at, at minimum wikied and YouTube some some things. But that was one where I was like, who who is this guy? I had a, a similar yet different response to this whole thing. Like for me, Thrawn has been a a name in star Wars since 1991. Like it has, he is synonymous with star Wars as much as Darth Vader is. It feels both natural and about time, but also it very much feels like this is their hail Mary throw. Like, as we were saying earlier, they need a win and it feels like they've got to try and write the ship. When, when Timothy Zahn wrote the Thrawn trilogy, there was an idea to bring oh. together a group of Star Wars characters. And so from then on, everything was connected. Everything was canon. Everything counted. The only thing that didn't count was if George Lucas came out and said, you know what? You're not allowed to do that. That was the truth of everything from then on out. And so Thrawn being here finally feels like they realized, oh, that actually that stuff actually worked like we should do that (laughs) and so i think it's about time that we get thrawn i get it if you don't if you don't know thrawn you're gonna have a confusing time because it's like who is this guy why is he so important 
I don't think they did a good enough job showing why he's so important. And he's so huge. He's the big bad to replace Darth Vader and the Emperor. And I don't think Rebels did a good enough job setting that up. I think the books kind of do. However, the books really make him out to be more of a good guy than he's really made out to be. Like, he's not the evil villain that that the Emperor is. He has some extremes, but it's always for the greater good with Thrawn. So, I, I don't know. The issue with Thrawn as a character is that because he's such a tactical genius and he's not the good guy, how do you make a tactical genius lose in a satisfying way? So it, it gets frustrating in those situations. Like, And I think Rebels did an all right job with their conclusion of it, but I we'll, we'll get into it. We could talk about Thrawn for hours. <laughs> but, but let's do that when he's actually on screen because i mean for the next five episodes he is a shadow a shadow of a of a fear it's it's an idea it's like yeah oh the the idea of thrawn is what we're so scared about okay okay <laughs> i'm sorry i asked could be you're gonna be you're gonna be really sorry you asked a lot of things <laughs> i'm sorry so speaking of previously ons uh previously on the mandalorian Ahsoka Tano, former Jedi Knight, uh, captured one of Thrawn's allies, uh, a lady named Morgan Elsbeth. And apparently Morgan knows where a secret map to locate Thrawn is. Uh, and so the, the crawl kind of tells us that uh, this is where we're starting off the show. She Morgan Elsbeth is being taken uh, to stand trial on a, a New Republic ship. And much in the same way A New Hope opens, we pan down on a Star Destroyer-like ship. ship is too big. If I walk, the movie will be over. New Republic cruiser, essentially, transporting her back. We get to go to the bridge, and we are treated with a rare sight in Star Wars, the bridge of a capital ship and how it's being run. It's As a Star Trek guy, it is one area of Star Wars that always has felt lacking, like... They in the books they always kind of give you an idea that the ship runs very similar to that of a like in Star Trek like you've got the captain on the bridge with the first officer with the people flying the ship with the navigators but like you never really get to see this in Star Wars so I really liked this opening scene. You would. I know, right? <laughs> yeah, like anytime that you give me these technical moments, I I'm gonna love. And like they've got a protocol droid on the bridge, so like even though it's a little Star Trekky, they still it make it Star Warsy, and I like that. Like it's it's fun. Uh, like I used to whine about Star Trek Discovery getting their Star Wars getting Star Wars in my Star Trek, and I hated that. Like I did not mind at all for a second that Star Wars got a little Star Trekky in it because uh, I I like this this operations on the bridge and how they run their shit. Although, let's just say the captain of a New Republic starship is not nearly as put together as the captain of a, star, a Starfleet ship because their protocol droid tells them that they're being approached by a ship that is not Home One. Uh, Home One is Admiral Akbar's big ship from Return of the Jedi. It's the, the flagship of the fleet, and they're there to meet Home One to give Morgan Elsbeth over to them. But instead, it's a it's a smaller craft. And so the captain calls for a security alert and asks the unknown vessel to transfer their codes. 
Comm officer says they are using an old Jedi clearance code. It's an older code, sir, but it checks out. And they're here to see the prisoner. The captain says he's calling their bluff because he's no dummy. Obviously. Uh, then in a stunning display of being the world's biggest dummy, he invites these people on board. This guy gives me the vibes that if he got an email from a Nigerian prince, he'd be like, okay, <laughs> okay, why not? He really needs my help, guys. Down in the hangar, the ship lands and out comes two robed hooded figures who we will come to learn are Balin Skull and Shin Hadi. She looks crazy, like, yeah, all does. the time. I, I have to say, I really enjoy uh, the fact that in Star Wars, all ship designers made it so that the uh, the cooling jets release right in front of the landing ramp. So that way you can get that cool, they come out of the smoke look. They're like, trust me, it's going to look awesome every time you exit your ship. The two cloak figures, an older man and a young woman, approach Captain Hale and his security detail of about eight blue shirts. Uh, I guess the blue is the equivalent of red when it comes to shirt mark for death in the Star Wars universe. Makes sense to me. Couldn't put them in red shirts, then it would be too obvious. Oh, I mean, you're not going to see any good guys with a red lightsaber or anything like that, because red is like, that's just too obvious. Evil! 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 (laughs) Captain Hale tells the two that he doesn't believe that they're Jedi, just Imperials trying to trick them. Balin tells the captain he's making a mistake. Hale thinks... He has everything under control and demands to see their identification. You don't need to see his identification. Balin says, I got your identification right here, as Shin pulls out her lightsaber and proceeds to make quick work of the guards. Balin then tells Hale that he was right about one thing. They are no Jedi. The not-Jedi split up, and Shin takes the bridge while Balin clears a path to the detention level. I really liked the scene of the officers in the hallway getting blasted and knocked out by force pushes because Skull is a real badass character. And I think this is a, a perfect time to call to light the fact that it sucks so hard that we lost Ray Stevenson because he was so good in this show. And you said the other day, he was probably the most interesting character in this show. And so to lose him sucks, but that's okay. Gerard Butler will come in and save the day <laughs> and, you know, swoop in as the guy who's going to play. You know two. who I kind of have my heart heart set on now? Because I, I forget who said it. Somebody suggested this should be the guy. You watched One Piece, right? The the grandfather, the admiral, granddad, the, the grand admiral with oh. the accent. I think he would be a really good replacement. Okay. I, I kind of like him and I kind of want, like, I kind of want it now. And so I'm going to be really sad when it's not him, but I think he would be pretty cool. Nice. Balin goes and gets to Morgan's cell and he takes off her bindings with the force. She thanks him and tells him the Jedi who captured her is trying to locate the map to Thrawn. A Jedi named Ahsoka Tano. <laughs> So after the title scene, we see a robed Ahsoka walking through the ruins of a city. And uh, everything is covered in like black sand and rubble, but 
She finds what she's looking for and uses her lightsabers to carve a hole in the ground and falls into a chamber full of carvings of ladies holding golden orbs. And it's very uncharted Indiana Jonesy. And it's a good thing that Ahsoka's great at solving these uh, Tomb Raider puzzles. She must mm-hmm. have had a PS1 like us growing up. Exactly. Because so, <laughs> she uh, she figures out this puzzle pretty quick. She turns these pillars to reveal an orb. I guess we're to assume that this is a map orb to help find Grand Admiral Thrawn. Sure. But yeah. Here's a new another off topic that is going to come up a lot. I have a very real problem with the way Dave Filoni writes and directs things. This looked cool. Everything about this scene is cool, but I have so many questions about this room. Who who set this room up? Who set up this elaborate pillar system? to hide an orb that takes you to another galaxy. Why not just keep the map with you guys? Like if it's the bad guys, like just keep it with you. Don't, don't hide it in this elaborate room that anyone can apparently just figure out. It looks oh, like it's been there for a long time though. Hold, so how does, how does, how does the map know where Thrawn is? Second. Hold on one second. <laughs> Sometimes you do occasionally have these questions and, and rightfully so. And you've expressed that on some of these shows. But sometimes you let some of these things go. See, I get on. This is one I got hung up on. Because I was just so confused. Like, how does the orb know where Thrawn is? Like, <laughs> and I, we will get an answer later on. I'm going to do my very best to not jump ahead. It is going to be very hard for us not to, like, occasionally jump ahead. Yeah. It will. I I apologize in advance to the listeners who are watching along with. This is one of those things that just bugged the hell out of me because it didn't make any sense what this whole map room is. Does it look cool? Yes, absolutely. Is it filmed great? Yes, absolutely. Very well done. Very cool opening scene with our opening with our main character here. It just makes no goddamn sense. (laughs) See, and... (laughs) And I guess this and this is this is just a fundamental difference between you and I when it comes to this part, because all of that stuff, I was just like, I don't care. Like how how all of this, the mechanics of it, that's fine. Just tell me where ultimately this is going to lead at some point, because otherwise this is just a side quest meant for just a action scene, like a cut sequence or something like that, which that has been my problem with Star Wars lately is that, oh, it's just let's go find this MacGuffin to lead to another MacGuffin to mm-hmm. get to the final MacGuffin, which is not actually the final MacGuffin. It's going to be like the penultimate boss. And then, you know, you get to the real boss and then, you know, OK, then game over. That's fine. Exactly. Yes, I agree with everything you just said. And that ultimately is where I'm leading with this. It doesn't make sense what they're doing here because it just feels like another MacGuffin. And yet it's so much more than that because this MacGuffin is then so important for the next. So like every time they bring up this MacGuffin, I'm like, but how come it was in that room? (laughs) So like I just the rule of cool always wins out in this new Star Wars era. And it bothers me. We will get an answer. I don't think the answer is very good, but we will get one later on. So it will, at least it will make a little bit more sense. And I have to say, rewatching this show has helped me understand some of these little details that are just like 
head scratchers because it's like they do give you a snippet here and there and you can kind of fill in the gaps with your own head cannon, which is fine if you like doing that. I know I personally like doing that, but when it's something that I'm a little annoyed about, I don't give it as much grace when I have to do it. What? You? See, see Loki? No. No. <laughs> For examples? I won't stop. I know, champ. <laughs> I never would have assumed that of you, of all people. I know, right? So Ahsoka figures out her puzzle. She gets the map, orb, and uh, she gives a, a little call to Hu Yang to tell him that she found it, but the comms are being scrambled. Uh, and now just real quick, for those of you who don't know, I have absolutely no idea why or how Hu Yang is in this show, and I don't care. This is one of those, I don't care. Absolutely don't care. And we'll get to why later. I love Hu Yang. Just, that's the short version. <laughs> but the last time you may have seen Hu Yang was in Obi-Wan Kenobi when he was frozen in Amber. So I have no idea how he got from there to here. I don't even remember him being in Rebels. So, But I'm going to assume he was in Rebels. I don't know if you saw an episode where he was in it, but I didn't. I, I have no idea. The last time I saw Hu Yang, other than that brief moment where he was frozen in Amber in Obi-Wan um, was in the episode of the Clone Wars where he was in the the arc with the Jedi younglings, which is an amazing episode arc. I highly recommend anybody who has not seen it to go back and find that arc of the Clone Wars. So Hu Yang's not answering the phone because somebody's jamming their signal. Of course, it's not a real day in Starfleet till comms get blocked. So she jumps out of the chamber and finds assassin droids waiting for her. She then sees she's surrounded by five droids in total and draws her lightsabers as they <laughs> as they slowly approach. She drops back into the hole, and I and I love this part where she's more holes appear under the droids, and they just go plop down like reverse whack a mole. It's it was a creative way to do this because yeah. otherwise it would have been. Just like every other Star Wars fight where it's like, yeah, we're just going to destroy these droids. That's that's it. Agreed. And this is this is a key example of how cool Ahsoka is as a character. She's always thinking on her feet and she is just credit where it's due. One of the best new characters to come out of Star Wars in a long time. So Ahsoka then jumps out and starts fighting the lead guy. And, you know, he's the lead guy because his helmet is red. Oh, um, oh. <laughs> I guess I guess you get the red helmet once you've had a couple more lessons programmed into you. So he lasts a lot longer than his partner, who she cuts in half very quickly, and then decapitates the final guy, but not before he can initiate his self-destruct protocol. So Ahsoka starts running as Hu Yang shows up in their ship, a ship that I will, for the first time here, you could start start some kind of a counter. Because it really annoys Oopsie. out of me that this ship does not have a name. It really bothers me. Every ship has a name. Every main ship. Every character's cool ass ship has a name. This ship has no name. It is the ship with no name. Their ship shows up and uh, all the droids then explode because they were apparently equipped with a if I can't have it, no one can bomb. And these bombs just 
absolutely incinerate everything within several miles. I was, I was about to say that's it is not enough just to like destroy the droid. It's not no. just that it is. It has to destroy everything. Everything. As well, that is. <laughs> And we'll get into this next episode, but the fact that this is an out, this is how the bomb works, is wild to me. What they do next? This, <laughs> this is a level of pettiness that I need more of in Star Wars. Right? I, I just need more of that. It's bad enough that Obi Wan had to have the high ground, but then he just cuts off Anakin's legs too. Well, well we're you know it. what? Great. He warned him. He had that high ground. Way to uh, way to victim blame. In a, <laughs> in an instance like that, hey, no, good to know. No, no. Um, from I, well, from my perspective, Obi One was the victim. So I will. Uh, I will make sure to remember this when I'm pointing out when I'm being gaslit. So. <laughs> well, those bombs sure do explode in spectacular fashion, but not before Ahsoka manages to jump on the landing ramp as the ship flies away. On the bridge, Ahsoka chastises Hu Yang for keeping his distance and causing them to lose comms. She really needs him to have her back. He counters that it is standard Jedi protocol. That is the job of a Jedi Padawan learner, which I am not. She tells him that uh, the map was right where Morgan said it would be, obviously. Her willingness to share surprises Hu Yang, but Ahsoka says she didn't follow standard Jedi protocol. Just then, they receive a Priority 1 transmission from Home 1. Priority 1 message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Uh, they rendezvous with Home 1 and the ship from the opening, which looks like it's been blown to hell. I, re I really like the music in the scene. This is one of those, as they, they come over across the ship, like, it just, it's so Star Wars-y. It's very John Williams-esque, even though John Williams isn't doing the music, and before the end of this series of episodes i will learn the name of the composer i have to say the the person doing the composing for this whole show just knocks it out of the park like natalie holt levels of awesome composing in ahsoka hey that's high praise uh, but yes uh, very much deserved they board home one and are greeted by general hera sendula played by mary elizabeth winston uh, she informs ahsoka that morgan escaped in the briefing room, Ahsoka and Hu Yang are shown a hollow recording of the attack, but Ahsoka doesn't know who they are. Hu Yang suggests that uh, one of them used to be a Jedi, and he should be able to identify him through their lightsabers. Ahsoka shows Hera the orb and informs her that it will lead them to Thrawn. Hera asks if Thrawn survived, does that mean Ezra did? And this is another instance where I'm like, who's Ezra? What's, yeah. what's going on with this? This is the first Star Wars property or something. I, I felt genuinely lost at first. Interesting. Like, because it's clear that based on the excitement of a lot of other people, okay, they're excited to hear all of these names. And I was like, okay. I mean, I'm surprised of how lost. I mean, you're not the first person to say this. I and it, it does surprise me a bit. Like this name drop of Ezra here. Yes. If you don't know who Ezra is. You're, you don't know who is, you don't know why it's significant, but I mean, from a storytelling perspective, it can be just viewed as, okay, so the good guys have an invested interest in finding a person who I don't know anything about. So I, I didn't think it was outlandish or, I mean, it is the first episode they're setting things up, 
But I don't know. I just I wasn't expecting so many people to be like, I was so lost. I didn't know what was going on. Well, you have to keep in mind that uh, no previous canon, no uh, no books, no anything. I had checked out of Star Wars. Yeah. Like new Star Wars stuff. I still love all the movies and everything like that, but I didn't watch these cartoons with a fine tooth comb or anything like that. Yeah. So Ahsoka hopes so, but they can't unlock the map. Of course they can't unlock the map. Right. My only question is, did they try? Did they try to unlock the map? Give it to a freaking it's, droid. Just... It's... It's the same way that my daughter will look at a Rubik's Cube and she's like, I'm good. No, thank you. (laughs) Unfortunately, as we'll see later, this is a Rubik's Cube that literally has two moves left and then it's complete. It wouldn't be a Star Wars thing if there wasn't a challenge to the thing that we discovered that would prolong the furthering of this. And that's what really grinds my gears. Hera then suggests that Ahsoka get some help, uh, but the person they both have in mind might not want to. Hera's convinced that she will, though. We'll see. It's going to take some convincing because we got to pad that runtime. So we cut to Lothal. For those of you who are unfamiliar, this is the planet that most of Rebels takes place on. And it's gotten quite the glow up since the last time we saw it. I was going to ask about that is, um, has this place always been this this swanky? This, no. You know. I mean, I suppose this is very many years later. So I think the last time we see this city in Rebels, excluding that end scene of Rebels, is pre-A New Hope by a couple years. So at the very least, it's in a decade later. Uh, cities grow, and with Star Wars technology, they can grow fast. So my guess yeah, is that this, now that the Empire is destroyed, the city has been allowed to blossom and grow, and it looks pretty cool. I have to say, there's a fun little city in the middle of Oopsie. nowhere, because that's how Star I, Wars planets work. I just envision <laughs> some kid playing SimCity 2000, and yeah. just let's just build a bunch of stuff that we wildly can't afford, and let's just make this look as nice as possible. Yeah. Everything in this show. I have to say, one of the positives of this show is they made everything look absolutely stellar from the CGI to all the background stuff, the choreography, the practical effects, the visual effects. Every, everything looks just top notch. And Lothal was not left behind. So we go into the city and people are all gathered listening to uh, Mayor or Governor Clancy Brown giving a speech commemorating that this day, several years ago, the Empire was defeated. And I don't know what he's talking about at all several years ago, because it's just they were absolutely refused to give us a date. (laughs) I don't know when this is taking place. So I'm not sure if he's talking about Endor or when the New Republic retook Coruscant. But several years ago, the Empire was defeated and they're having themselves a bit of a commemoration ceremony and an anniversary, I guess. They're dedicating a monument, which is a painting of the Rebels TV show crew that is also shown in the finale of Rebels. So like if you watch the end of Rebels, this mural is something that you get to see. It was cool that they kind of put it in live action here. So Mayor Clancy Brown says that he has one of the leaders here to say a few words and announces Sabine Wren. Bueller, 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 Bueller. Unfortunately, she's not there. 
everyone looks around confused because she was just there. What, like, how did they lose her? But so Clancy Brown calls security to find Sabine. And it turns out she's zipping down the highway on a speeder back to her place. So as she's flying back on her speeder bike, two ships that look like chunky Z-95 headhunters pull up on either side of her. Uh, Z-95 headhunter is kind of like an X-wing, only a little less X-wingy. So the main guy on the in the one ship shares some friendly banter with Sabine. Uh, but in the end, they they try to pull her over because they were ordered to bring her back to the ceremony. Uh, but Sabine is not going back to the ceremony. She has made up her mind and she guns it and somehow outruns two starship like thingies in on a speeder bike, which I mean, guys, you got to pay more money for your uh, your cop cars, because if you're getting lost by a motorcycle, that's that's no good. I mean, keep in mind that, you know. Crown Vicks were police cars for a long time, and those were not the <laughs> crown, <true. laughs> crown jewel of vehicles that should be in pursuit of high-speed cars. This is true. And anybody who's seen the Blues Brothers knows exactly the problem. So they decide to let her go because, oh, that Sabine. She's too cool, and they're clearly her friends. So we cut back to her place where she's feeding her cat, and she pulls out a storage box of all of her old rebel stuff. She finds a hollow recording of Ezra that he made just before their battle with Thrawn in the final episodes of Rebels. Or maybe in the final episodes of one of the seasons of Rebels. I don't know. I watched it. I watched the Thrawn episodes. That's about it. So apparently he made this recording very specifically to tell the audience there is absolutely no sexual tension or chemistry between these two characters. They are just like brother or sister. And that's it. When I kiss you, it's like I'm kissing my brother. Look look at Luke and Leia, because in, well, in the original... This feels like they're getting ahead of it this time. <laughs> I just It just felt so weird that they... They had to pointedly say it because honestly, and I don't know if maybe this is something we're going to say this a lot, like do a drink every time me and Mike say, I don't know if this is something that was in Rebels. I never got the whole brother sister vibe from them, but I also didn't get a sexual vibe either. Like I never thought like, oh, Ezra has a thing for Sabine. It just seemed weird to me that they decided to put a nail in the coffin and were like, nope, they're brother sister. That is it. Don't try and ship them. You're being weird if you do. But the other thing, too, is that of all things for the creative team to put in a recording for this, like you decide to put this. We're talking about this orb map that has, you know, they can't figure out how to open it. They need more information on what to do with it in order to get to Thrawn. And this is the... This is the backstory that we need more information on in this hollow recording. Great. Thank you. Appreciate that knowledge drop there. The the knowledge transfer is complete. I appreciate it. I will keep this in mind for the remainder of the episode. Realistically, when they eventually find Ezra, we don't all think, how come she didn't kiss him? Because that was going to be the first thing on all of our minds. Uh, we cut over to the planet where Ahsoka found the map orb to find Morgan, Shin, Balin, and a masked dude named Marak examining the rubble. 
Morgan explains that this was an ancient temple built by the Night Sisters of Dathomir. Okay. Balin says that either Ahsoka has the orb or it was destroyed. Morgan then orders Shin to go to Lothal to find Sabine, since Ahsoka will most likely go there next. Back on Lothal, Sabine is having a previously on dream about Ezra and is awoken to an alarm. She goes outside to see two X-Wings and Ahsoka's ship with no name fly overhead towards the city. Uh, Sabine meets them at the starport where she greets Hu Yang and then it gets awkward with Ahsoka real quick. Boy, uh, just... Yeah. Frosty. These two, I'm putting this all on the directing and the writing at this point because if you thought that Ahsoka talked slowly in the previous scene, get ready for what I can only describe as a slow-talking showdown. It's infuriating. The fact that these two literally take up 20 minutes of screen time just staring at each other and slowly saying a line back and forth is just so irritating and is the biggest complaint I have of this entire show and this this episode and the next episode especially. Like, every time Ahsoka and Sabine are on screen together, they can't get more than two words out and it's so mind-numbing. Yeah, the dialogue, the directing, yes, I will, I will take directing the task for this the dialogue is so rudimentary like there's no subtext at all it's just all text it's just them saying their feelings at each other and just it's annoying uh after your year of staring at each other ahsoka holds up the orb and says i think i know how to find ezra they go on the ship and ahsoka gets uh to tell another character that the enemy is seeking thrawn They discuss the map. Ahsoka is hoping that Sabine's artist eye might be the edge they need to unlock its secrets. Sabine changes the subject to where Ahsoka has been living. Ahsoka says she goes where she needs to, but Sabine hits her with, well, not really. Sabine asks if she can take the orb with her, and Ahsoka refuses. This is about preventing another war, and they can't risk it falling into enemy hands. Sabine agrees, but teenage 30-year-old has got a teenage, I guess. Of course, she takes off with the damn thing. Yep. And if you thought that that sounded like a really weird interaction, I tried my best to not make it that way. However, in the end, that is literally what happens in the scene. Like, there's, there's no, like, I didn't fluff it at all. I just wrote what happened and... I apologize that this this scene is so hard to convey anything in. It's oh. just like they're just back and forth with each other about nothings. Well, to your point, not your fault. It's the writer and director. Same person. Uh-huh. There you go. <laughs> so- Ahsoka gets called to the other room by Hu Yang as he has made a discovery concerning the identity of our two non-Jedis. One of the lightsabers he doesn't recognize, but the other belongs to a former Padawan named Balin Skull. He disappeared at the end of the Clone Wars, like so many Jedi. Uh, Two trained Force users are going to be rather difficult for Ahsoka to take on by herself. For the second time in this episode, Hu Yang implies that she should find herself an apprentice. There's no I in team, but there is an I in Pi. I don't know what he's talking about. Uh, You know, someone to have your back? Good at fighting? Maybe somebody with the first name that begins with the letter S. Rhymes with Shmamine. Yeah. (laughs) So, obviously, he's implying that it's Sabine. He wants her to train Sabine. 
I think he should go get her again and train Sabine. Maybe yeah, stop beating around the bush and just be like, hey, let's train Sabine. And th this is where my confusion of not being caught up comes from. And before you send in your angry letters, yes, I understand. This is supposed to be Rebel Season 6. But it was sold as Ahsoka, so I didn't expect that I needed to catch up, so I didn't bother. But I never saw Ahsoka training Sabine. I didn't realize that Sabine had force talents. I don't I don't understand why suddenly she does. Dave Filoni did say it's like, well, anybody could be a force user with enough training. That's not how the force works. Well, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my entire life. And uh, proof in the pudding that people need to stop listening to Dave Filoni. <laughs> Aren't they going the exact opposite direction? They are that? going and... the exact opposite. Well, I mean... They're giving him a position that, in my hopes, takes him out of the writer and director's chair. Let him be the big picture guy who kind of points the story where it needs to go and let somebody who actually knows how to write and direct do the job because he's not good at it. So we cut over to a field where Shin is living out her dream to copy a famous Sith from the past and is checking off the... Darth Maul stands on a hill waiting for a probe droid to come back box on the list. Shame she did it wrong by having some assassin droids with her. Oh, well. I did appreciate that, that that's clearly what they were paying homage to in, uh, in Phantom Menace. But we cut to Sabine getting home with the map and she decides to try and figure out what exactly makes this thing tick. Not in the safety of the city or a ship in proximity to a Jedi Master, but I'm sure she'll be fine. Back on the T6, and I tell you, I'm going to come up with a name for it eventually, if they don't. Back on the T6, Ahsoka is tattling slash chatting with Hera regarding the interaction she just had with Sabine and how she left with the orb against her wishes. Hera is trying to play devil's advocate, but Ahsoka is still annoyed. They both know that they need Sabine to solve the map, but she's a stubborn Mando, so they knew what they were getting into. Hera bets Ahsoka's master found her to be difficult at times. And Ahsoka tells Hera that she left the Jedi and Anakin before the Clone Wars ended, just like she walked away from Sabine. Yeah, the, the name drop of Anakin in this is like, oh, well, he's going to show up some at some point. Foreshadowing! That's fine. The Hayden Christensen renaissance, fine. Let's, uh, let's redeem Darth Vader. Um, we are redeeming Anakin Skywalker. You monster. Well, from my point of view, Darth Vader was the monster. Excuse me. Back over at Sabine's house, she's just staring at this hologram of the room Ahsoka took uh, the orb from and is trying to puzzle out how to unlock it. She uses a Star Wars tricorder to remove all the extra stuff from the hologram, very reminiscent of Tony Stark in Iron Man 2. After almost 20 years, still taking me to school. This reveals a symbol remaining in the hologram, a symbol that matches the orb. Only the orb symbols are out of sync. She needs to turn the sides like a spherical Rubik's Cube, and Sabine rotates the sides to make the image match the symbol in the hologram, and suddenly the orb starts to glow and creates its own hologram, revealing the map of the galaxy. Uh, Sabine goes outside with her binoculars to see if she can find the stars indicated in the map, when she is suddenly attacked by the assassin droids from earlier. Surprise, motherfucker! While she is dealing with one, a second one runs into the house and steals the orb and trashes the apartment. 
Sabine manages to take out the first assassin droid and quickly chases after the second while calling Hu Yang for backup. Why why does she get to call Hu Yang for backup? Why not? He's like Ahsoka's butler. I don't know. Right, right. That's <laughs> like that's not Sabine's It's like if butler. Robin needed Batman, he'd call Alfred. I I don't know. Who are you going to call? Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters. Ahsoka, Ahsoka, you call the person with the nearest lightsaber. That's what I would do. Oh, that's what you would do? I had a friend who had a lightsaber that could use the force, and they were on planet and nearby. I would call them first. <laughs> so back on the T6, Hu Yang informs Ahsoka and Hera that Sabine is in trouble. We cut back over to Sabine, who has found herself confronted by Shin. Uh, Sabine <laughs> pulls out Ezra's green lightsaber and stands ready. Shin pulls out her orangey reddish lightsaber and they stare at each other for a few moments before leaping to attack. Ahsoka quickly gets the ship in the air and comes to Sabine's aid as we cut back and forth between the fight and Ahsoka rushing to make it there in time. Shin and Sabine are going back and forth and I appreciate that Sabine is clearly an amateur with a blade here. Her skills are definitely more Mandalorian-based attacks, which I I thought was a really nice touch. But she is holding her own against Shin, who, honestly, I feel like... It didn't feel like she was toying with her. I feel like Shin should have wrapped this up a lot quicker than she did. But everyone knows that Mandalorians have been trained to fight the Jedi. So it's possible that, you know, a lot of Sabine's training was for exactly this type of combat. It makes sense. Like, the fight looked cool. It wasn't your typical Jedi versus Jedi fight, so it was was a nice little change of pace. Up until the moment when Shin does a Qui-Gon Jinn on her and gets her right through the spleen. Shin does a Qui-Gon Jinn. Just, uh, poetry. Again, it's like poetry, so if they rhyme. That should be the catchphrase at the end. Shin does a Qui-Gon Jin. Yeah, well, she does. Stabs Sabine right through the abdomen. And uh, it's unconscious shish kebab Sabine to credits. Oh, no, he died. So that's the end of our episode. Mike, did you like the episode? Um, this episode definitely feels like a pilot. It's got a lot of setup that it needs to do. And this leans into a lot of star modern Star Wars-y stuff that I just am not a huge fan. We're not going to emphasize any of these characters. We're just going to introduce a lot of random stuff, manufacture conflict, and then also we hop from MacGuffin to we need somebody to figure out what's the deal with this MacGuffin. We're going to be super passive aggressive about this and just super vague about all this stuff and just hope that they just want to help instead of just being like, well, can you just do this for me, please? And not just have all this angst about it. But no, that's that's not what we get. You wrote something in your thoughts, which is your first thought, and I'm going to echo it too. Just the, the dialogue is just, it's not good. It's clunky. The delivery is just, just doesn't make sense. I don't know what they were thinking. And for me, as somebody who did not, not watch or isn't familiar at all with any of these like newer Star Wars things, I, I think lost is a strong word, but it's like, I wish... I'm looking forward to more context about this down the road. Yeah. It makes me keep thinking, oh, I should go back and rewatch maybe the, I guess the last season of Rebels, maybe. Maybe, but. But like, I I honestly don't want to. <laughs> well, well, and then that's, that's the other thing as well, is that that was back in the day when there was like, oh, it's more than like six episodes in a season. Great. 
Okay, looking forward to that. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I the episode was disappointing. I just the dialogue was probably the biggest standout. I, there are some strange editing and directing choices as well. Like there's at one point Ahsoka is talking to Hera. And she raises her arms and just keeps talking while she's... And I thought, like, was that a weird, like, ADR moment? Were they doing an homage to Darth Vader when they changed the dialogue? And you could see in, like, A New Hope, Darth Vader is, like, gesturing, but he's not saying anything because they Mm -hmm. cut whatever he was saying in the... When they filmed it. Like, it was just weird. Weird choices like that. I wrote this script so fast. There were so many times where I could just quick jump ahead 30, 40, 50 seconds because nothing was said or done or like I couldn't write anything down. Like there wasn't much to say about it. And that goes to just the depth of the writing. Like it's just really annoying. But like, I don't want to be entirely negative. Uh, There are several things that I loved about this episode. And I mentioned it earlier. I love Hu Yang. Yeah. I love that they got David Tennant back to reprise the role. I think he is perfect in this role he is the perfect quirky droid that's very similar to anthony daniels as c-3po but like so different of a character like it's the same but it's not the same and i really love that about hu yang if there is an mvp of the entire show or even just of this episode it is hu yang straight through because he's got the best lines he's got the best delivery He's just, he's so wonderful in this show. And then I think Mary Elizabeth Winstead is, she didn't have much to do this episode, but she is so perfectly cast as Hera. I didn't watch Rebels religiously. I didn't really care for it. But Hera always stood out to me as a very good and interesting character. And I mean, Mary Elizabeth Winstead is so underutilized in Hollywood. I love everything she's done. And I want to see her more. I'm very happy that this is the character that she chose to do because she's she's crushing it. Yeah, I mean, lately she's been getting more stuff, but she's always second fiddle. Oh, like, yeah, I, I, I want her. I want her more top billing. Yeah, stuff. I'd love to see her lead more stuff. She's she's great. And also probably one of my only age appropriate celebrity crushes. Yeah. Like she's only four months older than me. So. <laughs> We would have been in the same grade in school. I will say this as well. Um, As somebody who didn't watch a lot of other the Star Wars cartoons and things like that, I do really appreciate seeing a little bit more diversity when it comes to lightsaber battles as well. And the Shin Sabine lightsaber battle, you're right. It should have been over a lot quicker. But at the same time, it was still cool for me to be like, women should be fighting against each other with lightsabers. They should have been doing that a lot more often. Yeah, the fact that it wasn't a one-sided battle and that they managed to keep it entertaining. I think my only negative is the fact that they felt the need to give her a lightsaber at all. And I know that that does go to, she had the darksaber at one point and she is trained in how to use the damn thing. But I really love the whole mando jedi sith lord lore where they essentially hated each other and fought all the time and Mm -hmm. it's just it's one of those things that i've always wanted to see i want to see jedi fighting mandalorians that's so cool like if we ever actually got that that would be really freaking uh so how about we head over into a new segment that we're calling nerd rant you know what really grinds my gears 
That's not how the force works. I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not gonna take this anymore. I got a lot of problems with you people. Now, you're gonna hear about it. So, I don't have too much to preface this with, but each week, we're gonna pick something out from the Star Wars universe just to rant about. Good or bad. Good or bad. And this week... But, But probably bad. Probably, yeah. Well, we'll see. We'll see. Because... I mean, realistically, it's a nerd rant, and I'm going to just get real nerdy with it. And to this week, my topic is, why are they so cagey about the freaking time frame of this new TV canon? Like, no one will tell us where, when, how, or why this takes place. I, It's driving me insane. We don't know when the, the Mandalorian is. I, allegedly, it's five years later, but then I heard someone say that season two and three have like a two-year gap in between them, which doesn't make any sense at all. I don't know when this show takes place, as mentioned earlier, and it's just driving me insane. The expanded universe at the beginning of every book had a freaking timeline, and that was it was so nice because you could keep things in order, and I appreciate Andor to the ends of the earth for having the gall to put a time frame in the one episode, They and they actually used the BBY before the Battle of Yavin. I loved it. Why can't we do that more often? Tell me when this thing is taking place so I can set it down in my mind, and I can tell you right now, us nerds, we love this shit. We love making lists. We love figuring Figuring out when things are chronologically and just please Disney, please give us a freaking timeline. I don't care if you don't want to put it in your, your episode. You don't have to do it in your stupid intro when you're flashing a thousand freaking droid heads and helmets in front of us. Like say like five BBY, 10 ABY, 14 ABY, like something. Tell me something. I need to know. Rant over. Okay. Good stuff. Now that we've gotten that very brief nerd rant out of the way, let's move on to our official Geek Speak Louder Than Nerds canon. You know, my pep pep always said, if you want to do something right, you make a list. He's making a list. He's quite clever, you know, for a human being. I'll put it on the list. It's quite an impressive list. Thank you. In this segment, Mike and I will share our lists of the Star Wars Cinematic Universe, old and new canon alike. I will do my best not to upset everyone with my hot takes. And at the end of these eight weeks, we will once again do a combined ranking. However, this time we will employ a Trump rule, which we have decided to dub the Sheev rule. Because who is the Trump of Star Wars? Emperor Palpatine. And what's his name? Sheev. Why is that his name? I don't know. But that's his name now. So if someone says a movie or a TV show and the other has it higher on their list, they will say Sheev and we will talk about it when it is at its highest position on the list. This will hopefully make the proceedings go a little quicker than in our Marvel episodes. So we'll be seeing two hour episodes. We'll be able to keep them closer to a buck 30. So this week... We will be discussing our number 23 to 20. So, Mike, what is your number 23, your least favorite Star Wars movie or TV show? My number 23 is Star Wars Episode 9, The Rise of Skywalker. And I will go ahead and sheave you on that one. I have a feeling that this first part is going to be filled with some... With sheaves? sheaves. Yeah. Lots of sheaves. That's okay. Unfortunately, we will not be talking about it this week, but it will be very, very quickly okay. next week. 
Okay. <laughs> so, not to disappoint. I can understand why that would be your last one. However, the only reason I think that's weird is because I'm wondering if maybe you just haven't seen it. Because my 23 is Star Wars The Clone Wars The Movie from 2005. Light, Steve. Okay. Because right, so- that's that's my number 22. Oh, well, there you go. So let's talk about it. I I think it's wild that you think that uh, Rise of Skywalker is worse. Let's get into it. Why is it at number 22 for you? I I just didn't like a lot of this. It just didn't. I don't know. It's just it was a weird time to release this movie. I don't know. There's there's just a lot about it that I'm like, why do I care? about yeah. about this what is going on it was one of those weird pilot movies it yeah. clearly is the setup to the new tv show and the fact that they did it like this is just weird to me because it wasn't good no it wasn't and good. especially comparatively because <clears throat> i don't know if you remember what uh the one of the first episode arcs of the clone wars was that one with yoda and the clone troopers And that episode was really good, like almost a perfect pilot, if you will. The amount of people you turned off with this whole endeavor, like the whole Sky Guy and Snips thing. Ahsoka, who I literally said just 20 minutes earlier, that is one of the best new characters to come out of Star Wars, is one of the worst characters ever devised in this movie. She was awful. And it's such a terrible start to a character because we see where she's gone, but like they had to do a whole lot of course correcting. Yeah. Not to mention Stinky the Hut. <laughs> questionable animation at the time for 2005. I mean, we, we talked about it all day here about the writing and the directing being atrocious. And what was this? This was Dave Filoni's writing and dire- he wrote and directed this movie. I, I don't. I really don't understand why people love him the way that they do. Like everything that he has soul writing and directing credits for is not good. I, I get it. He likes the movies and he has great ideas about them and he knows how to make things look cool. Nobody likes this movie. And yet they're super excited whenever Dave Filoni's name pops up on things. It's just <laughs> wild to me. Yeah. Three. So what is your number 22? My number 22, this is where I have Star Wars The Force Awakens. Sheep. Take number Sheep. one. One of many, I'm assuming, so. <laughs> to Sheev. Sheev, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. Not by much, but. Oh, okay. We'll, 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 I bet we'll you be it's talk- a lot for all of, all of our listeners will, we will disagree we, with that one. We will be talking about it next week. I'm assuming. Okay. uh, Yeah. My number 21 is the book of Boba Fett. Okay. I'm going to sheave you on that one, but also not by much. We'll talk about that one next. Okay. So my number 21 then is the Star Wars holiday special. Slight sheave because that's my number 20. All right. Well, there you go. There you go. Yeah. Um. Don't anybody tell my daughter Lily, because oh man, she loves this movie. She makes us watch it every year on Life Day, which is like November eighteenth or something this like is that. The such anniversary. A betrayal. You I know. Monster. Oh my god, she loves it. I posted a video on Facebook of her dancing with her. She's in her chewy robe with her chewy stuffed animal, and she's dancing to. <laughs> 
the song that B. Arthur sings in the cantina. So say good night, friend. Good night, but not goodbye. Yeah. <laughs> it's the this is the weirdest show in the history of the world. I don't understand what they were thinking when they made this, but it is just a wild piece of Star Wars history that I think everyone should watch at least once. And if you're crazy every year on Life Day like we do, ah, just chef's kiss of insanity. Yeah, that's just the perfect way to put it. This thing just... This was back in the day when Star Wars just thought that they could do no wrong. Come on, faster all together now. Cooking can be fun. I don't even know if that's true. This was so clearly slapped together last minute because they were like, so many people love Star Wars, we need more. Right, right. It just feels like somebody thought that this was a good idea and this was back in the back in the age where like the TV special was the oh, way yeah. to go. The TV special variety hour in 1978. <laughs> All the rage. Oh man. And I mean, for good reason, George Lucas has literally tried to track down every copy of this and burn it. Movie opens up with like 20 minutes of no talking. It's just Wookiees grunting at each other. <laughs> Yeah. Art was it Art Carney is in it? Yeah. That's the, the guy, the mechanic guy. And he's doing it so earnestly. Imperial Guard, I suppose you want to see my identification. No, I'm off duty. I've come to look around your shop. Good, good, good. Look around. Browse around. Make yourself at home. I love it. Oh uh, my god, Luke Skywalker mansplains things to to Chewie's wife Mala. <laughs> Someone tells her to smile more. Come on, Mama, let's see a little smile. There, that's better. Try to enjoy your life day. <laughs> like, oh, good Lord, this doesn't age well. No, it doesn't. I don't know. There is no better representation of how people view this in pop culture than when Glee did a holiday special or like a Christmas special and they, mm-hmm. they did kind of like a parody of this. Some of the characters were like, what is this? Why is Star Wars doing a holiday special? Like, what you is going on? You watch this episode of Glee now. You really don't. No, it's... I really do. Yeah. So, <laughs> because like like that, it feels slapped together. And it's like only like a small part of the episode, but they get on TV and they just wanted a free excuse for some some of the kids to dress up as Star Wars characters. It was, it was very weird. Well, that show did kind of go downhill really fast. So. Yes, it did. So wait, that was so that was your 20? That was my 20. So what's your 20? So then my 20 is... Uh, which I, some... I, I guarantee you I'm going to sheave, so... Probably. Maybe. Well, I have um, to, because... This, this, this one, I mean, honestly, I think this one might be the worst, like, actually worst made. Well, no, I still think The Clone Wars is worst made. This is the worst made live-action Star Wars movie. And that is Attack of the Clones. We'll talk about it next week. All right. So that's our list then this week. We did it. All right. That was nice. (laughs) Which is good because we talked an extra long time on the episode. So, right. Uh, I I think this is going to work out a lot better. Yes, I would have to agree. Uh, It's as if if we're learning on the fly. 
for but if all you the stuff. listener decide you don't like this you want us to talk about it and make them long episodes you tell us you just you go on to that blue sky that twitter that letterbox however you want to do it you you tell us how we're doing but that's it for this week's entry into the official canon we will catch a deck next time with our 19 to 16 so mike what are we got coming up on next week's episode Our next episode will be Star Wars Ahsoka Part 2, Toil and Trouble. Ahsoka and General Hera travel to a New Republic shipyard and make an unexpected discovery. Until next time, please like, subscribe, share, try turning the almost completed Rubik's Cube just slightly to the left before giving up on it completely, and rate us five stars on your listening app of choice. Also, you can find us on social media. I am at mlhilty2452 at Instagram, Threads, Blue Sky, and Serialized. And you can find me on Blue Sky Letterboxd and Twitter at Jagged2319. You can also contact the show at GeekSpeakLouder at gmail.com or on Blue Sky by searching GeekSpeakLouder the Nerds. You can also join our Facebook group and follow us on Twitter at GeekSpeakLoud. Until next time, I'm Nick Farrow. And I'm Mike Hilty. Thank you for tuning in to GeekSpeakLouder the Nerds. Jin pulled the Qui-Gon Jin. Catchphrase. Bye, everybody. Oopsie. The the music, it's so good, and there's so many times that I'm gonna want to use it, but we're gonna have to use uh, it sparingly. Otherwise, every mm-hmm. transition <laughs> sequence is either going to be that or duel of the fates. That's it. Oh god. I can think of so many times where we'll just start and then they pull out their lightsabers. Maybe that's what we should just do instead of doing that. Just <laughs> just the two of us just start just clip our own selves doing it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that that SpongeBob one. That is not where I thought you were gonna go with the evil thing. I thought you were gonna go straight to Natalie Portman in V for Vendetta. You're evil. Oh, no, no. For me, it's almost always going to be a SpongeBob reference. (laughs) Early season SpongeBob was like the shit for me. We quote that all the time. I mean, (laughs) keep in mind, we have spent most Saturdays together. No. Past couple of months. And then and then we skip one and we're like, Skip one week and it just all goes to shit. (laughs) We got to get back into the swing of things. I I need you to put your thinking cap on. What would you name this ship? I don't know. Like, okay, her code name in Rebels, and they even continue to use it in this show, is Fulcrum. So, like, just call it the Fulcrum. Like, Mm -hmm. that would be the easiest thing to call it. I don't know. Like, something. Name it something. Okay, you saw the Tales of the Jedi thing where she is a baby and there's that creature that like finds her, but then mm-hmm. she like rides him home. Name it that. Whatever that animal is, name it that. Like, you, there's so many things you could name it. I couldn't believe I did the research. They didn't name the ship. I don't know why they didn't name the ship. Even the Lego doesn't have a name. I'm like, what the? Like, how do you not name these things? Musical score by Kevin Kiner. There you go. Look at past Nick thought ahead. There you go.